0: So we are going to get to Three Colors Blue, uh, Shostovsky, here on The Complete. But the first thing we want to do is give a shout out to one of the many wonderful 25th Frame podcasts that was on that former network. And the one we are going to be covering today is one that is very close to our hearts and is very relevant to today because one of the hosts of the show is going to be on this episode uh, and it's the magic lantern podcast with erica long and cole rollane and it's the best
1: it is literally the best it is my favorite podcast uh when it comes to taking deep dives into films that are very eclectic in their choices they both take turns uh between Whose turn it is for a film, so we have we're starting to develop an idea of what Erica's tastes are, what Cole's tastes are, and how they respond to each other's uh, choices and uh, how personal they get is something that I find uh, both uh, enjoyable to listen to and very rewarding as a uh, film uh, lover.
0: And if you like our show, but you wish we would stop rambling on for so long, uh, their show is a perfect show for you because it is an hour long, it is tightly edited, and it is packed with information, both in terms of their uh, analysis and thoughts on the film from a personal perspective and uh, fascinating information background on the film and uh, its production uh, and uh, what they were uh, intending with with the movie, so you really get a very deep dive in that hour long runtime.
1: We can't even keep this bumper to a normal size because <laughs> of <laughs> our rambling. So if you like if you like our show, but you want something that is more digestible but also very fulfilling and enriching, I highly I cannot stress enough how great the Magic Lantern is. And uh, please. Give them a listen. But
0: now we're going to do our show and ramble on a little bit. You ready to ramble? (laughs) Let's ramble. (music) Hello and welcome to the complete Shishtoff Kieślowski. This is episode 16 Uh, We are going to be covering uh, Derek Jarman's Blue. No, wait. (laughs) Did you guys... I think I watched the wrong movie. Um, (laughs) We're going to be covering the first of the Three Colors trilogy, Blue. Uh, And uh, I am Matt Gasteyer. I'm here with Travis Trudell. Hello, Travis. Hello.
1: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: I am really excited to talk about this movie. I watched it again last night, and uh, I'm still processing my second watch of the week. It was a very emotional experience. And uh, here to talk about it with us is uh, Erica Long of the Magic Lantern podcast. We're thrilled to have you back, Erica.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be back.
0: Uh, You were on our Kubrick season for Lolita. Uh, So um, we, I guess we have a A thing for car accidents with you. I don't know. It's it's always very morbid when you or Cole are on the show, I guess.
2: You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: uh, I think most people who listen to this show know about your uh, super awesome show, The Magic Lantern. But if you want to just uh, give them a brief rundown and and just uh, maybe mention a few of your more recent episodes you just released a, a pretty big one in uh, in cassavetes recently
2: we did and thanks for mentioning that. I'm with the Magic Lantern Podcast. I do that with my husband, Cole Rolane. And we cover the films we love and the things we love about them. So it's pretty informal, but we try to dive very deep. And we just did a woman under the influence. We're gonna switch it up here soon with the Matrix. And, oh wow. Yeah. Yes. Those are different. yes. <laughs> We did some super fun stuff earlier in the year. We covered Elaine May, thanks yeah, to you guys, putting episode. that in our mind. And yeah, so we cover all sorts of stuff, all kinds of genre films, all the way through art house to popular stuff to not so popular stuff, everything in between.
0: Well, we're going to take the blue pill uh, this week uh, on this episode. Nice. Come on, guys. That was great. Uh, <laughs> did I get any credit for that? No. All right. No, you get nothing. <laughs>
2: you would have gotten credit if you said we took the (laughs) blur
0: you are we are gonna we're gonna have you uh say all of the names of the people who are in this movie uh, gosh i will try my best a really bad job of it um (laughs) but uh why don't you um just uh, say a few words about uh, kichlovsky your relationship with, with his work, uh, how you came to it, and sort of how it's evolved as you've watched more of his films.
2: Absolutely. So it started for me back with this trilogy, which came out when I was in my very late teens, early 20s. And I wasn't familiar with him prior to that. I hadn't really seen anything else. I think I saw The Double Life of Veronique afterwards. So and I was watching these as they came out, but on VHS. So Mm -hmm. it was a really lovely experience to come back to them. After so many years, you know, I'm now older than the characters, when I at that point was younger than them. So it's definitely a different perspective.
0: Yeah, it it was very interesting for me. This is the first time that I've watched this film since having kids, so it was uh, that just that alone I think makes it uh, a different experience. What what was your perspective this time? What did you think of Blue in this situation?
2: I feel like I got so much more out of it this time than I did when I was very young, and I loved it back then. Don't get me wrong, I was really into the entire trilogy, couldn't wait to see the last installment. But this time, even though I don't have kids, so I'm not in the same kind of life situation. I'm now reading these other perspectives from the time, some people having a problem with julie's choices and now i'm thinking this is all i want to do is separate from the rest of humanity and <laughs> not owe anything to anyone i completely get it and i get how these major life changes can affect one and then also i feel like i have another more rounded perspective on the character of the mother that that speaks so much more to me these days
1: yeah t- time time and growth personal growth have really affected the how i view this movie uh this was uh this was my first introduction to uh Kieślowski as well and i watched this uh for a uh art and visual issues class back in college it wasn't even the film class it was a, it was mainly kind of just you know learning how to appreciate and talk about art and, and so uh, they had us watch this film and write a paper on it and my paper sucked. I really wish I saved it so I could <laughs> read it for the, like. Mm-hmm. If if old me knew that a, that a, I would have to, uh, we'd be talking about this movie in a podcast. I would have saved that paper. I'm sure there's some choice excerpts that would just make no sense at all. But uh, yeah, no. There's a there's a different relationship with the movie as as you grow, and I complete I cl- completely agree with that. Your perspective changes. Uh, in my youth, I thought a lot of her actions were selfish and and foolish and now as I'm Mm -hmm. older I realize no that's exactly there's so much more complexity to what's going on in her life that to you know to separate completely from all that is probably the best thing to do to recenter oneself uh so yeah no I I I I agree with you it is uh it does change as you grow as well
2: and at the time I was getting my degree in French so I was very tied to that whole Francophile sort of community and I think also because I wasn't following interviews with him or really tracking the trilogy as a whole I think I was tied so much to the idea of liberté as opposed to emotional liberty mm-hmm. that it now with that context makes so much more sense to me
0: I think I think that the I don't necessarily think that the perspective of her as, um, self-centered or selfish is necessarily wrong. I think that the film presents both of those perspectives, that it's okay to be both kind of, you know, doing something for your own emotional health, um, as, uh, as a selfish act and also as, as a kind of just necessary pro, uh, part of the process of grief and um, moving through this experience and i think that's one of the things i love so much about the movie is that if there there if there's nothing despite the fact that it's so insistent on maintaining the perspective of julie it is it encapsulates so many different perspectives and so many different ways of looking at this experience um and leaves so many um open-ended threads uh, available for you. Yeah, and I guess uh, Yeah, go yeah, ahead, sorry.
1: Yeah, I guess that that concept of self-interest wasn't wasn't necessarily what I meant by like uh it was like a wrong act of hers but as me in my youth this this the the expected what yeah, what's expected of grief that. Yeah. Is you know, you're only you're supposed to be broken and sad and 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 like distraught and you can't go on and all. outwardly so. Yeah, yeah. outwardly so. Yeah. You know, rending of the breast. Right. And, like the housekeeper know. says, like exactly. I'm crying because you're not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I think for me uh I had a similar experience to you guys. This was the first Kieslowski film that I saw. Um it was in the early 2000s, I think. Uh, and I also watched it on a VHS rental. Um, and I think I, that my takeaways, um, in terms of my kind of long-term memory of reflections of watching this movie, um, were really plot focused and beyond the really stark visual of the blue bathed, um, swimming sequences um, which which I think stayed with me the most in terms of, of uh, the visual component of the movie. Uh, w- we're really focused on the idea of, obviously her getting over her grief, but also this concept that she potentially wrote her husband's music, that, that aspect of the film and sort of how it was woven into her process of grieving was my probably big takeaway from the movie and revisiting it this last couple times i was struck by how visual the film is it's the, the the dialogue is extremely minimal um this is really a movie that's told through cinematic language for the vast majority of the time and kind of how beside almost beside the point the story is i mean i think it's it's very much driven by the story and all of the scenes are um are focused on her experience and the process that she's going through psychologically um but i think that the the story is is almost meant to evoke a feeling in you and it's very open-ended what the intention of that feeling is or what that evocation is um and it's it's much more of like to use kind of like a generic film bro term like it's much more of an experience than it is a a movie and i i feel like especially this last time that i watched it i just wanted to kind of sit with the uh the scenes as they were playing out and and not even necessarily think about what she personally was going through, but kind of what the movie, what was happening in front of my eyes and, and inhabit this world. And I'm most impressed with the film on that level, that there is, um, an emotional scale here that is very difficult to put into words. Um, and, and so it's a bit intimidating to talk about, but at the same time, it's very exciting because, I don't necessarily know where this conversation is going to go with you guys today.
2: I'm with you cuz I was coming at it again from that different perspective of I'm not thinking about the reunification of Europe which at the time right. was a very big deal and very much on our thoughts and you know assessing the political importance of should she be an isolationist should any country be on and on and on and then just thinking about these now three decades that I've had to watch Juliette Binoche's face and (laughs) her physicality and everything that plays across her and just focus on her at least for me
0: yeah well she's definitely I think one of the the great actresses of of our lifetimes and I, I think this is for me unquestionably the best performance in any kieślowski movie and i think it would be a very different movie with any other actress in this role um, but i also think the movie meets her on her performances level in a lot of ways and i think the most important one is that um this story could be extremely melodramatic um and uh you know even just the the piece of did she or didn't she uh write her husband's music you know if you think about a film like the wife that came out a couple years ago with Glenn Close um where I've only seen clips from that movie but based on those clips that I've seen everything is at a, a bit of an 11 through the movie it's definitely telling you like this is a big thing and we need to think about this um and the way that pretty much everything is done in, in this movie, including what, you know, there's, there's few things that can be more melodramatic than to have your entire family taken out from under you, uh, in an instant. Um, that, that moment happens off screen in this film and the way that it's told is very impressionistic and there's not, there aren't those moments of heightened emotion and, uh, i'm not inherently saying that's a bad thing i personally love melodra- melodrama but i think the way that this movie is presented is similar to the way that binoche's performance comes across which is very restrained um but very real and emotionally truthful uh and, yeah. and you know I, I mean i could watch her for forever in this role
2: and I think she had to fight him a little bit on some of these moments, especially making changes or finding something that she felt to be true in the moment, for example, with crying or not and yeah. facial expression, because it's, it seemed like he was a bit more of a, the word is not practitioner that I'm looking for, but technician and wanting the same the same the same the same find this thing and she doesn't quite work that way
1: yeah it seemed to it seemed that uh where he was approaching the character from a logical like a head position she was pulling in the heart position and they found a very they struck a really fantastic balance in this film i think I think you're right, Matt. I think this is one of the, this is probably the, so far, we have two more movies to watch, but I would have to say this is probably the best performance in any of the movies. And I think he's really fine-tuned that concept of the small moments and details are what make up the lives of these people and the lives of us, these little tiny, you know, just ephemeral moments that happen within the film this is what builds up the emotional resonance that we then pay attention to it's these like you know the the sugar cube in the coffee the feather blowing on the pillow it's all these little details that kind of uh help us process the 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 things that are happening to uh julie um and i think the push and pull between them as a director and actress I think that has really helped out where he has you know he has worked hard to kind of uh, wanting to keep her from being melodramatic and over which I don't think she would have gone there naturally as it doesn't read into the character that she has but she was able to inject moments of heart and emotional vulnerability that I think wouldn't naturally come to Kishlowski, um due to the the subject matter of what he was trying to do in this film which is almost like an uh I think it's been said a couple times it's almost like an anti-melodrama like it's the opposite of that we we are having this thing that should be super dramatic and super melodramatic and we're going to just take all of that melodrama out of it and process it in a different way which is uh which is a very different way than what films had been doing up until that time with how to process that type of grief.
2: And do you think that's why there was some of that, not blowback is not the right word, but people then saying, I can't understand why she would do anything like this because they don't process those sorts of ideas or emotions in uh, that way.
1: I think so. I mean, or, or even like I said, like in my, in my youth, like, Myself not having the life experience to understand That you don't have to process things the way that's expected of you And also the cultural You know, the cultural information that is being You know, given to us That this is how it is expected of you to process that way So I think Because I've read a few reviews that are just completely like Oh, she's so cold and unfeeling Like uncaring uh, i can't connect with this like that's not how you should be processing the death of a child and you know that's 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 always you know that kind of critique is always interesting because you're you're basically not taking meeting the meeting the film at its level of what it's trying right. to convey which i always find to be annoying but you know you can understand that with growth in time like as we've all talked about revisiting this film again you know, you can now process this in a, in a completely different way, in a completely different circumstances, because as we've grown, we've changed and we can see the reasoning behind uh, a lot of her actions.
2: And like you were saying earlier, taking a word like selfish, all these charged words and making them not so. So just looking at this thing as a choice, as an action, as opposed to something that I've affects these other people in this negative way just that it is what it is
0: yeah and i think like it's there's a difference between uh somebody acting in a way in a film that is not normal and acting in a way in a film that is not true and to me this very much falls into the not normal category and i believe every choice that she makes in this film for her character and for the particular um, moments that she is in in the movie and the way that Kishlowski puts them those moments into context to me there's nothing in the movie that that rings false despite the fact that i personally may not behave this way hopefully i will never have to find out but i i, I don't feel like i would but you don't know until you go through an experience, uh, this catastrophic. Um, and, and, and also it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, in a short film about love, which this film frequently reminded me of, um, just because of the nature of the connections. She's frequently looking, uh, at other people from across the way in the film, whether it's the woman with the bottle, Um, the the man playing the recorder or um, even the the mistress who uh, walks into the restaurant she's looking at her uh, through the window Um, in that film when the woman comes uh, invites the the boy to her house i think there's a lot of people who kind of reject that as being a bit of a like a male fantasy or or that that real women wouldn't act that way and I think there has to be room for problematic behavior from characters that isn't necessarily logical or sensible to people but if it feels right within the film and within the that character's inner world then I think it's okay for her to act in a way that you might not necessarily act and that you might not necessarily like that you think that it's the wrong choice for her to be making um and and that's certainly how I felt um throughout this film that her choices weren't necessarily the choices that I would make but that they felt right for her character
2: I I do agree with you I think they feel totally right and for me I think I would possibly do the same thing because i believe a couple of things now that i don't know that i did when i first saw it i believe that she knew about the mistress or at least had some sort of feeling about it Mm. about him for the most part at the very least pulling away completely from her being separate and i believe that Her mother already had Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever prior to these events taking place, and the emotional toll of the loss of three people—one possibly whom you've already lost—and then, and then the one that you had left, your child—that it's just you're just broken at that point. There's no way of putting yourself together again, and or opening yourself up again to any kind of feeling that could put you right back there.
1: Yeah, and there's no there's no normal. Like even if you try to go mm-hmm. on, you're trying to recreate normalcy, and at that point there is no normalcy. So to completely shed everything and try to start anew is a perfectly logical reaction to that kind of situation. I've been I've been accused or not accused. It's been noted, I guess, is a more uh, gentle way of saying. It. Jack <laughs> I've been. It's been noted in my life that when uh, traumatic or dramatic things are happening, whether it be injury or hurt or fighting, I tend to shut down emotion and go into a yeah. logical way of behaving, mm-hmm. which sometimes, you know, is considered cold or cruel or. I can't believe you're, you, why aren't you reacting? And I'm just like, I, my brain is thinking of how to fix this in a way that makes sense without it being, if I take into yeah. emotion too much into account, it, it, it'll just make things worse. It makes things messy and I'm not a messy person. So I can now, now seeing this, you know, even with ha- with having children and thinking about what would happen, I, I I can't even begin to process that. So my brain just says, well, you can't process it, so let's not think about it. <laughs> Shut it mm-hmm. down. Put it away. You don't need yeah. that.
0: Well, it's interesting because I say that I wouldn't behave this way, but I haven't read the national news in four years.
2: <laughs> I, yeah.
0: I can't. I, I physically cannot I do wish. it.
2: You and know, so, I mean,
0: the, for me, like, yeah. the, the, the feeling uh, I, I say, I don't know what this feels like. Like, ask me again in November, how I, like, if I know how this feels and, uh, I, you know, obviously a personal versus, um, political or global, um, is a different thing, but it, it, it doesn't seem that different to Kishlovsky in this movie. I mean, he keeps talking about the fact that he, um, does, he wants to pull politics out of, uh, his movies um, but they keep roaring back in I mean there was no reason at all for this in this movie for what he's composing to be uh, something for the unification of Europe um, if he really wanted to pull politics entirely out of this movie it would have been very very easy for him to do um, but I think he again is underscoring that the political is personal, the personal is political, this idea yeah. that 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 the connection that we make with people happens on so many levels in our lives. And it's impossible to extricate any of your behavior on a personal or political or social level uh, from the other levels in in your behavior in your life uh, that that all of these things are inextricably linked and i think on a fundamental level that's what all three of these movies are talking about that there there is no um there is no way to pull yourself out of that um, continual cycle of connectivity with other humans Uh, that that is in fact, what it means to be human is to connect with and other humans.
2: I I think of you two now as the experts on him. So would you say that that's also inextricably linked with where he's from and when he's from?
1: It is, it is an ongoing theme in everything he's created at this point. And so I wonder, maybe because of the idea of unification in Poland that uh, in yeah in poland at the time this idea of together we we can work to something greater um but at the same time by isolating ourselves from the rest of the world we're we're Mm. finding that it's not working because we are not actually working for a greater good i think that definitely could be read into uh him being a part of you know why this becomes a major theme through everything he's created. Um, it definitely can be tied to his where he's from and the time that he he was working in, and I think that's why there there was a sense of betrayal from Polish film scholars and film critics at the time when he started making his European films because they were no longer of and for Poland. But I think at the time they were missing the point that his films were never for Poland they were for everyone to understand like understand humanity and this is how it is in this part of the world and his, his themes like we've talked about um, his themes are always end up turning into the universal when he tries to make everything as human as possible and when he tries to make political messages it becomes so myopic and narrow in its in its uh, thrust that it doesn't resonate as strongly as when he's trying to make something that is about people and about their connections so it, it wouldn't I think it I think you're right. I think Erica that's a I think it does have to do with with where he's from and the time he grew up because otherwise, you know, I, I can't imagine like even even when he has left Poland, he's still making these films about how we all connect to one another and like Matt said like he didn't have to make something about the unification um, which, you know, when you think about it, it's a that's a really grand a really grand and like just a giant concept in this small art house film, you know, that it is so important that this character is like making the song that unifies Europe, you know, how, how much more pressure and status is in this composer that this is what he has been tasked to do. How much more artistic greatness can this person achieve if he's been, cast to make this song so to have such a grand theme in this and have it be the sub story throughout the course of uh julie figuring out her, uh, her place in this world and how to move on from this uh this immense loss um is is a very bold choice that uh kieślowski makes and I think it's I think it's important. I think it it like the way that he has positioned himself in this film, as this humanistic moment and uh, dissection of grief and how to process it, but in the immense tapestry of this giant unification of Europe and the fall of the uh, of the wall and just all this stuff that is happening around at the same time is uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy he does set it up in a place and in a space but it's so personal at the same time Uh, it's no one i don't think any director is working on that level and has since um in terms of the political and the human yeah and
0: and the the three colors aspect i mean the concept comes out of the french flag it's um uh liberty Uh, equality and fraternity um that obviously is has an inherent uh political national um philosophical uh, implication um the fact that he made these films about uh, individuals on such a personal level and in particular this film i think has has a one character that it, it's intently focused on both, uh, in terms of narrative and in terms of cinematic perspective, um, that, that obviously this mirrors what he did with Decalogue. Um, but it's, it's so ambitious to, uh, to, to presume that, that, you know, you could speak to these large concepts with, um, such a, such a small focused, movie Um, but i think that's ultimately what he's trying to do is elevate these individual small personal stories to um, grand uh, status Uh, and i do want to talk about the music because obviously this is it's a it's a incredibly significant part of the movie but just to answer your question um, erica i think that there certainly is uh a Perspective from which you can look at these late Kieslowski movies as being films that could only come from a Polish filmmaker, despite the fact that he largely made them outside of Poland and with p- funding that came from outside of Poland. Um, and it's interesting the films that he uh, made with uh, Pajewicz, uh, who is his co-writer since No End, um, which No End. Is one of his darkest endings, but after that, his films generally have more of a hopeful tinge to them at the end. I think I would probably call them bittersweet. Almost all of his his movies, the way that they end, and and I think that that is the war between the two of them. You know, there's an interesting quote uh, from Paishevitz in um, in one of the uh, books uh, on this film. Where he's really talking about how he he's constantly at war with Kieslowski's pessimism, and just that that it's it can be so uh, it can wear him down so much that that he he often feels like he's he needs to um, be on the other side of that, fighting him to kind of put some sort of optimism or hope into his work and i think that comes through in the decalogue and it comes through in veronique but i think it really becomes clear in this three colors trilogy that he's kind of leading him down that path Mm -hmm. and obviously the the trilogy that they were planning on making afterward uh was is another just pure the purest example of that which is heaven hell and purgatory you know that this is this is the war of kieślowski's later work um, And a lot of those critics you know from poland that were criticizing his later work they were the same people who were championing what was known as the cinema of distrust these are people who grew up with this pessimism and supported the a reflection of the pessimism of poland in the uh, late 70s and early 1980s as uh the most valuable form of art certainly in cinema but but in general really um for their uh national good and for the good of the people in this country and obviously all of these people were raised to believe that that was the most important thing that the the propaganda line was to sacrifice yourself and the good of of other people of the people um and so I do think there is a little bit of that as much as there's some really great digs at this film. Like I really like the person that called it a fancy brandy commercial, an up- upmarket brandy commercial. <laughs> um, God. Like I, I think that there's, you know, it's something to be said for for their points um, and I do enjoy it, but I think it is mostly coming out of the perspective of surprise that somebody who had, had been so invested in this culture and it, Had made so many movies had supported so many other filmmakers making movies like this would make a film that kind of says this this might not actually be the perspective that um you know what we were raised to believe and what we were fighting against maybe there's something deeper going on here and and you know let's let's talk about that um contradiction that idea that you know you can Want to be alone, but you're never truly alone, um, or the vice versa that you want to be a collective, but you are um, inherently an individual. I think that that is something that, in in certain ways, could only come out of the communist bloc. So that was a long version of an answer to your question. <laughs> I
2: was with <laughs> you the whole time.
0: Um, but let's talk about the music because the, I think the the you know the European unification concept um, for people who haven't maybe delved deeply into the supplements on this uh, Criterion Disc or other things, read other things about this movie, the, there was uh, more to this concept. It was the idea that, that the, um, the music would be played in, I think it was 12 different cities, different capitals, and that it would uh, they would have an orchestra in the center of each capital and then there would be 11 screens uh in each capital that were also that were that were brought live broadcasting the capitals around europe playing the music and that it would all come together in unity that the uh, all 12 would be playing at the same time and it would make beautiful music together so it's you know the concept of unification um which you know is a very I don't think it technically it could be pulled off but if it maybe it could be now maybe I don't know about in the 90s with like delays and things like that but but it's a, it's a very beautiful concept um, and I think it inherently ties the music to the idea of um, connection with other humans so I think whenever the music is played in the movie there is sort of an inherent um, metaphor there that when she's thinking about creating this music, she's thinking she's doubting her behavior and what she's doing. Do you guys kind of agree with that use of the music as metaphor in this film?
2: Yes. It seems like it's haunting her or living inside her, like this terrible creation that she can't ever remove herself from. Whereas she doesn't have she's trying to remove these constant reminders of what she's lost and this is the thing that could never go away.
1: The narrative of this film is so simplistic in terms of what it's trying to say. It's it's a very it's a very easy story. So it gives him plenty of room to be able to experiment and play with lots of different concepts of uh isolation and loneliness and this other concept that I think is very fascination which is uh, fascinating which I think is more about what this film ends up being about for me is this uh, idea of collaboration. Um, I think part of the reason why that Julie cannot remove herself from this music is she has no one to work on it together. Like there is uh, there's a sense that maybe she wasn't the one who wrote, composed all the music but because of her relationship with her husband together, they were able to create this music. It was a partnership, almost like they were birthing these ideas together. So this this, this struggle she's having with wanting to remove this item from her life, this, this music, this song, um, you know, the whole idea of that it being the unity song, which is she's completely, uh, rebelling against the concept of unity and she wants to have isolation at this moment um, and it just is struggling to come out and she can't get it out until she starts working with Olivier and gives in to this idea of we need I need to get rid of this to finally be done with this process um you know her internalizing and uh tamping down these emotions and feelings at this time um and this music is the thing that keeps on bubbling up instead of anger or rage she's got these just like almost like migraine attacks of music that just incapacitates her for a second makes her black out makes her you know stops her from getting out of the pool and you know closing her ears and going underwater just anything to stop this from happening Um, I think it it plays as a beautiful metaphor for the concept of collaboration and you need people to be able to create things in this world. You cannot work in isolation all the time. There needs to be um, connection and whether she's trying so hard to remove herself from the world, um, all it does is constantly put her back into connection, even when she's at her most... By herself, sitting in a cafe, eating ice cream with coffee poured over it, which looks like the most magical meal that I want to try so badly. <laughs> um, she, you know, there's this flautist outside playing the recorder, and he's playing this music, which is basically the the same yeah. theme and song that she's kept inside of her, and it's almost like she invites Olivier to meet her there later. I mean, she doesn't, but he's there just so she can see that, like, am I imagining that this is what's happening outside? Um, you know, he has to say, oh, that sounds just like that song. And she's like, damn it, it is. It's like the world and the world is f- pushing her to just finish this process so she can move on with things and that collaboration. And I think the visual aspect that Bess kind of like puts a, cap to my thesis of uh this idea of she needs a partner to be able to create is that moment where she finally gives in shows up with the music to Olivier's it's Olivier right I'm not making that up right yeah Olivier's house um she shows up to Olivier's house with the music and it's that wide shot in which they start going through the song and as she starts saying no let's get rid of the drums it's too heavy and let's uh let's get rid of the horn because it's too it's too it makes you know and the the room starts to go out of focus and the lights start to go off and this idea of collaboration as there is no answer to did you write the music julie or did your husband write it because once that collaboration begins it's a blur of who put in what and who is contributing how because it's that spark of magic of when everyone's firing on the right cylinders and you guys are in a true collaboration it just becomes a blur and it's it becomes one image that doesn't there's no distinction between who's who in this in this marriage and I think I think that's where that that music ends up leading us to is that moment of her being able to finally release all of this pent up things and re-collaborate and reconnect again, even if it is just for that one moment. So she can put a, put a period at the end of that sentence and then move on. Cause I truly don't think that she stays with Olivier after that night of passion or even if it is passion, I don't even, I question even if it's passionate, it might just be wanting to just end that whole thing. Yeah. So, and I think, I think that's that's very necessary for her. And it's, it's the struggle she goes through throughout the whole movie.
2: I uh, disagree with you only slightly. Only very, 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 very slightly. <laughs> I feel that it's... I saw it less as collaboration and more about telling the truth, finally. Not as a proclamation of taking credit or owning something but as in this is the way that it was and this is the way that it is i i still think that she ends up doing the heavy lifting for the most part on finishing the work and when he says you know i'll i'll continue to do this and it will be mine i don't want you to be involved with it. It's not going to sound as good, but it will be mine. Otherwise, you need to basically step up and say, this is what happened and do it. Not because you owe the world anything, but because you owe it to yourself to tell the truth.
0: It's interesting. I read that line in a slightly different way, which which was almost that he was saying, I don't want to be your husband. That i am a different person and i and and you know it's the first time i watched this movie i mean certainly in memory i had a more definitive take on whether she had written or co-written the music to me it was like she wrote this music entirely and her husband didn't do any of it and she was just not getting credit for it i don't think that's right i think i think she you know i think the key to like their relationship is when the woman who uh, makes a copy of the uh, orchestra unrolls it and says, oh, there's there's so much, um, there's so many edits here, there's so many markings. And uh, Julie says, oh, um, not, not more than usual. And I think that's really what their relationship was. This guy wrote this music and she made it better. You know, she was his editor, essentially, that... Improved what he was working on, and I think this guy Olivier knew that, and knew that that was the relationship, and to a certain degree, he thought that that was wrong. He thought that she was being exploited, and and from the husband's perspective, what she was being was as as he said to his mistress, uh, good and generous, and that was his perspective that she was giving him this thing out of generosity that turned into his, you know, world famous career as a composer. Um, And so this guy is, is saying to her, you know, I will do this myself because I don't want you to be in the same position that you were in with your husband. But if you are going to finish this, then you need to be honest about the fact that it was you who wrote this music and that co-wrote all of the music that your husband made in the past um and the one thing i do like about the collaboration concept is that obviously collaboration played such a huge role in i mean it always does in filmmaking but the fact that he stuck with his co-writer his um cinematographer and his um uh score composer. His, his composer yeah sorry thanks um through the rest of his career um to a certain degree obviously he used three different cinematographers on this uh, like he did on decalogue um and the fact that he gave uh H- idziak and the uh two or three filmmakers that had been advising him throughout uh the 80s um sc- sort of screenwriting assist credits on this film I think says a lot about the, uh, his perspective on collaboration at this point in his career and sort of what these people did to elevate his material. The fact that the score was written before the movie was filmed. It's to me so essential to how this film comes across and certainly how effectively Kieślowski is able to communicate the, the music and the way that the music fits into the film. I don't think you would be able to do that nearly as well with this with a score that was composed in a conventional way after production of the movie so I do think there is that that sort of meta textual concept of collaboration that comes into play um, there's a great story that um, Preisner tells about the first time that they worked together on no end and it was a moment when preisner was telling the orchestra that there was a singing section and the the conductor said well you know you didn't tell me that there was a singing section we didn't get a chorus and he said no 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 the the musicians are supposed to sing here so they're playing the music and then at this point they're singing at the same time and the composer just like freaked out (laughs) i mean the conductor he thought that was going to be a disaster um Kieślowski was in the room and sort of ran out of the room as the like argument was taking place so then they they recorded the whole thing and Preisner comes out to Kislovsky and says you know I'm sorry uh I'll do better next time like give me another shot coach and (laughs) and Kieślowski looks at him and says you and I will work together for the rest of our lives (sighs) and to me I mean like to me there there is such like a rich relationship between everything in this movie um and so you know i i think the 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 connection of these characters and the 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 struggle especially for somebody who is as pessimistic as kieślowski to uh, to have that worldview um and have it be challenged by these rich relationships uh, in in the course of your filmmaking i think is is something that's pretty special about this movie in particular Um, what about the uh, the cinematography here? Because I, I think one thing that uh, obviously we have to talk about is just how blue everything is. And, <laughs> you know, I think the movie, yeah. you know, it's funny because I, I think that could come across as sort of overly simplistic. It's like, oh, you called the movie blue, so you put a lot of blue in it. Um, and in a way, like, to me, this movie is such a beautiful example of uh, art house concepts and of, of sophisticated um, European cinema concepts uh, to show to somebody who has never seen a movie like this before, who's only seen sort of conventional Hollywood filmmaking, where so many of the uh, narrative and thematic devices are actual literal devices or um, dialogue driven. Um, this movie is is just a really great introduction to those concepts because it's so on the surface but I think there's more at work here and I guess I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on the cinematography here both the blue and and beyond that
2: I was definitely watching at this time with a question in the back of my mind beforehand of will the use of the color seem affected? Will it feel like it was shoehorned in somehow that we've got to find blue stuff? And it definitely did not feel that way to me. I also thought it was interesting because I'm so used to when you have a motif like that, that there's an underlying meaning, as in the color blue has a specific meaning or multiple meanings and where are we seeing that to what use and I don't think it's used that way here which I find to be really interesting and I don't find that I'm you know lacking meaning with the use of blue I think it's lovely I think it's employed in all sorts of different fascinating ways played across her face objects water you know and it's just this constant slippery thing that doesn't have to fit some sort of specific end it can be employed just everywhere just like the music is haunting her just like the specter of these people that she no longer has that she's constantly trying to avoid it's this thing that's constantly somewhere in her face making her face something that other people want her to face in a different way
1: Yeah, it's funny uh, because going off of that concept of it kind of doesn't stand in for one thing. Uh, It's one of the few colors, if you kind of look at like psychology of colors of what they represent or what they stand for. uh, Blue is one of the ones that has the most uh, feelings attached to it. So it's like it could be sad, Mm -hmm. but it could also be peaceful. It can be calm, but it can also be... Uh, lacking or cold it has it has so many different uh feelings or meanings attributed to it whereas like something like uh red is passion fire like there's a a strong emotion versus blue which has a has multi textural meanings to kind of uh what it can represent and i think i think you're definitely right when you say that it doesn't stand in for one thing it it kind of it it Mutates and changes throughout. Um, it doesn't necessarily just mean, you know, the the first the first at first blush. It could just you know you could directly tie it to her daughter, not so much her husband, but just her daughter. In terms of uh, the blue wrapper she has in the car, the blue mobile in her room, the blue wall, the blue walls painted the walls of her of yeah. her child's <laughs> room. You know, so you can definitely connect it straight to that. But then if you go further into kind of like where blue is being shown and what scene and what and what it could it doesn't tie into a neat little ribbon of uh this is exactly what it stands for and then you start to see that um a lot of times the blue is is there when she is just having a moment of reflection and it's it's moments of peace for her and that's when it just is like the moments in the pool is when she's cons- completely consumed by the color and then there's moments of reflection where the color is just uh washing her face and then there's also moments where the color is like piercing her face with like really hard sharp you know uh beams of light Um, but then there's times where she's just sitting in the park and the color is white it's it's not blue and it's these moments Mm -hmm. of uh you know of it, it is it's a the cinematography, not only just the lighting in terms of what they did, everything is practical. That's the other thing I I enjoy so much is this cinematographer. This is pre-CGI stuff, like, really heavy in terms right. of uh, cleaning everything up. Nowadays – Color grading. Yeah. yeah, everything is color graded. They do all that kind of uh, text uh, textural uh, – colors in post nowadays it's rarely done on camera and this is a cinematographer who had special filters made so when she is injured at the beginning and she's looking at the doctor and it's blurry to the left and right he had special glass made to have that happen on camera as opposed to you know a tilt focus you know, specialty lens or something you would just do in post processing that you would do now And so everything because of that has a tactile and has a has a more um, strong response in terms of the visual aesthetic that he's creating. And so beyond the color, the camera work also has that. There's moments of floating and there's moments of repetition and then there's moments where the camera moves where. You're kind of not expecting it to. I think one yeah. of the shots I, I I think about a lot is at the very beginning of the movie. The car pulls over so the little girl can run into the woods and use the bathroom, and the the you know the camera starts to pan over with the girl, and then she just lets her leave frame, and then the camera come back and picks up the husband stretching, and it's the only time we have any connection between the two of them. Otherwise than that, it's always the little girl, and that's our own And then the man is only seen in the uh, in videos or pictures. Right. But that's the only moment we mm-hmm. have between the two of them, and it's so brief. But it's it it's what the whole film ends up being about <laughs> is these two people that are about to be ripped from the the story and ripped from uh, Julie Benoche's life, and so it's a it's a beautiful simple simple shot that. Just conveys so much, and that i it's I think they're they're working on another level on this for sure,
2: just to go back to music for one second, just as an aside, I accidentally not on purpose watched the beginning of the film through the accident until she wakes up with no sound. I thought it was actually done on purpose. I didn't realize my Mm. player wasn't working properly so it is incredibly affecting to watch with no sound Mm. in the beginning Mm. by the way it feels actually like michael hanukkah a little bit (laughs) when it's funny you point that out it's a gut busting
0: oh yeah it's it's uh, actually i was reminded of the seventh continent through this movie um you know i guess i don't want to give away the seventh continent but the 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 bulk of the film is about this family selling off all of their possessions and moving away um and i i was reminded of him there i mean i i just think of him as such a uh specific moralist um that that i don't think Kie- kieślowski approaches that film in in that context um but i do think there is a connection in terms of the the yeah the the sort of vivid methodical approach to um composing pictures and to putting them together in a certain way uh that that this film definitely evoked for me um and i think the coldness of binoche is reflected in a lot of the coldness of of Hanukkah's characters. Um, not in their, uh, not, not in terms of, of like fu- something like funny games where, where it's, it's actually, um, uh, aggressively, um, awful, uh, ag- <laughs> um, but more, more just, uh, that there is like a deep emotional, um, turmoil underneath the coldness that there is something much richer going on um, that, that you're not able to kind of, that you're not able to see. Um,
2: he was probably in my mind because Emmanuel Riva plays yes. her mother in this, and then Trinagnon is in red. So I was thinking of Amour a little bit more probably, and just ready to be devastated.
0: And Amour, Amour, I mean, her, the role that she plays in Amour is, is not that different than here yeah. right yeah i mean mm-hmm. and then of course obviously she was in uh hiroshima monomore which is uh, another film about memory
1: yeah. um yeah about a woman afraid of losing her memory and then now she's cast as a person who loses her memory in two movies mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i think the 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 shot of the little girl and the the father the husband is mirrored a little bit in the moment where she is awoken by the music in her mind uh, or sort of on the screen. Um, and you know, it turns blue, she stares directly at the camera and the camera has this very unusual movement where it kind of Mm. pulls away and pans at the same time and, you know, tilts, swivels towards her as she's following the camera and then it comes back and it's clear there's no people Mm -hmm. in the room. Um, she seems to be directly addressing the audience. Um, but it, it, those are the only two moments that have kind of that kind of intentionality in the, um, that is so, uh, recognizable and like noticeable. Um, most of the time in the film, any sort of camera movement is much more, uh, Natural, naturalistic it feels like you're moving in the way that you would expect to move and those two moments take you out of the movie but in like a very uh understandable way it's part of the narrative that you are are noticing these movements do you know what i mean
1: oh yeah completely yes yeah i think that is a uh I think I've heard I've heard a couple times that that moment with the uh, with the camera movement is considered if you're going to put a structure on this film. Uh, uh, her call to action uh, that music yeah. bursts forth and swells, and then from there on out, she's denying this call to action until she finally decides to finish that music. Um, so that camera movement, which is very similar to. Uh, he did that type of movement in not the type of movement, but the same kind of concept of our, our lead characters staring at the audience, um, in uh double life of Veronique as well. When, uh, uh, I think Ver- Ver- Veronica is on the train and she looks, no, it's Veronique is on the train and she looks up and makes eye contact with us and this kind of like, uh, omniscient camera move which kind of floats a little bit and it's this idea that for a second the audience is participating within the film of this of this moment I, I don't know it's hard it's hard to explain it's something that I think is very unique to him that he chooses to do this because he, he doesn't do it that often and when he does it 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 does mean something I also think there's only two two there's only two scenes in this film, with the exception of the uh, the little montage at the end. There's only two scenes of this film where we're not with uh, Julie. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise than that, it's, it's purely from her perspective. Um, I think there's a scene where uh, Olivier is in his car and he, he opens the folder. So the audience gets the information that uh, her husband had a mistress before she does and then there's a moment where he receives the uh a copy of the uh of the score um which also he's getting information and we're getting information before julie does so it's a very very intentional uh these moments with livia are very intentional in terms of giving the audience information but otherwise than that we stay with her the whole time which is another you know Another very interesting choice that uh, Kishlowski makes. It's funny. You were talking about bad reviews earlier, and there was one in the New York Times from when this movie was made, and it says something like, it's full of mystical bravado that, that distinguished the front portion of the double of Vernique, and it's dead. Blue does not seduce wow. the viewer into its complex musically formal arrangements. The narrative is too precious and absurd. The interpretation it demands seems dilettantish. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, this guy is not ha- happy with this movie. Um, I can't, it doesn't, uh, because I grabbed it from a New York Times uh, archive one, it doesn't give the author because it's not the actual print. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was like, wow, that guy is uh, very unhappy with this movie.
0: Well, I think that the metaphysics of Kieślowski can grate on people sometimes. And I think that can be one aspect of it because he leaves so much open-ended and because he is commenting on a a more kind of um, abstract feeling within uh, the human psyche. The idea that, I mean, because in both Veronique and this film, there is this sense that you're not alone that this person you know it's you're struggling with this feeling that you can't place your finger on um i think a lot of people look at that as um surface level pop psychology um and it can and and that in particular sort of the the idea that it's uh that when you reach for something that is abstract yet profound, if a person doesn't feel like you achieve that, that's when they get the nastiest I've found in, in film criticism in particular. If you're not, you know, if you're, if you're not able to like depict a love story effectively, people are like, ah, it just didn't really work for me. Like, I don't know. Like I didn't buy into their relationship. It's one thing, but if you're going for a, vague feeling that we're not alone in this universe that we have a connection between people uh and you know and people don't feel like it works it's like this was fucking bullshit and i hope this person (laughs) dies yeah
2: and If it's, if somehow that use of metaphor is not rigorous enough to someone's taste, if the blue doesn't have one meaning and is yep. used one way right. every single time, then it's somehow not correct. It's too floaty and ephemeral. Yeah. Or, or if I, the I meaning back is too to...
0: obvious or not obvious enough. Like it needs to, yes. it needs to be right in that, like, you know, Goldilocks territory
2: or if the meaning is not what they want it to be because i go back again i really do think this is a lot about telling the truth Mm -hmm. and the truth is what most people don't want to hear or face and it's it's just not the truth that they want to be involved in they don't want to think that she knew about the mistress beforehand and is therefore ready to let the husband go ask for the daughter first Ask about her first and more consistently and is ready to not need to take credit for something and doesn't need to necessarily continue a sexual affair with Olivier outside of what she wants on her own terms and you know on and on and on I could blather I, on no, for her, I think, but,
1: I, yeah I think you're I think the concept of truth is is also very important in this film because anytime she's confronted with truths is usually when she has her blackouts and she denies things it's usually like a no and when the reporter comes to talk to her she just says like she just gets up and leaves when the kid says something about do you want to know what happened no. And she black. She has one of her blackouts, and every time she has a blackout, it seems to be when she has to confront the truth in some in some way or form, and she just doesn't. And no, I, it w- I meant to talk. I meant to respond to what you were saying about with the uh, with the when I was talking about collaboration and uh, your read as it being a, a the moment where uh, of truth. And I do think there is a lot of that. She's, it's. Uh, I guess I didn't take it as truth as much as reality, which I guess is the same as truth in ah, some mm-hmm. concepts. So she's unwilling to. face... I
2: understand, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's. It felt like she was un- unwilling to face a lot of realities, which the mistress and uh, the facts of how this occurred, and and it's and it's interesting because Kishlowski gives us gives us clues to why things have happened that other people aren't privy to. So we see that there is a fluid leaking out of the car. So it's probably brake fluid, which causes the car to be able to stop on that sharp turn and crashes into a tree. Um, He gives us these, you know, that there is a mistress before we, the whole, before our lead character knows there's a, like he gives us the truths before she has to, come face to face with them and accept them. So it's a, uh, you know, and, and, and it also is sim- it's also very, uh, that concept is a little more pointed when she has to disperse of the baby mice in her closet. Like there's right. this truth of, I have to do the ugly thing and it's something I'm scared of and something I don't want to do. And she's still like rely and she has to rely on someone else to help her both with giving her the cat and for cleaning up the mess. So it's that moment of truth where she realizes that she can't do this by herself. Like she needs connections in this world to help support her. And I think that's, that's you know, when she's crying in the pool and when she finally makes that realization is she then moves forward into, I'm going to go help, uh, uh, what is her name? Lucille. Sandrine. I'm going to go help Sandrine and go to the club and support her because she yeah, has Lucille. helped me, you know. And there is a and there's another strong sense of I think we we haven't really dialed in on this is this strong sense of uh of uh female uh, the female the focus of the female character and also su- women supporting each other um which I don't think is there's a general, especially in the 90s, I think, there was a, it's always the cattiness of, you know, you would want you would want Julie to be angry at the mistress and, you know, take her, you know, fight her. And, you know, there's this, what what we expect, the same as how we expect her emotions to be. We expect her to not want to be with us, to hate this girl. And I think the girl even, uh, she even says... Uh, Oh, Sandrine says that, not Lucille. I'm sorry. Lucille is the, uh, Lucille is the performer. Yeah. Uh, Sandrine yeah. is the mistress. My apologies. Uh, Sandrine says, "I, you know, are do you are you going to hate me? Like, I think she says that in the bathroom. And uh, Yeah. And Julie you know, just she, leaves. She just leaves. But she comes back and yeah. does the right thing, even though she's, it's almost like she's doing it, it's not doing it to feel better for herself she's doing it because it is the proper thing to do because there's that coldness to that transaction there is no warmth in that transaction of her giving the house and saying you can have you can use his last name for the child like there there is no and in that.
0: fact he's Kies- interpretation of that scene is is that that in fact it's a slap in the face that she is giving uh this to her saying like here this is yours now like you know it, it, uh, certainly if you're looking at it from the perspective of julie it's like you, you know i i lost all of this and uh it's, it's all, she's almost giving it to her out of spite um i do want to talk about the truth thing a little bit further just because i i think uh there is also a reading of this movie to a certain degree as the blossoming of an artist because i think her the, the truth that she needs to discover throughout this film is that she is in fact a composer and there, you know, I think you could look at her as somebody who just thought of herself as helping her husband. And through this process, the thing that really happens to her at the end of this movie is that she decides that she's going to finish this score. Um, and, uh, or this orchestra uh, orchestral uh, symphony, um, and there is a little bit of that as well in Lucille because, um, you know, she doesn't want her father to find out the truth about her, but she does it because she likes doing it. She's not ashamed of what she's doing, but she's ashamed of her father finding out about it or um, certainly of her father seeing uh, what she's doing.. Um, Whereas for Julie, it's, there's a little bit of a feeling of, I assume, of, well, what, what is this going to do to my husband's memory? Is it, are people going to think that I wrote all of his work if I finish this symphony and if I become a composer myself? Um, So I think that the, her realization of truth works on that level too. I don't necessarily know that that's 100% the way that she's looking at it she may this whole her whole this whole time think of herself as a co-writer of her husband's work and she just doesn't want the credit but I think that there's definitely you know I think that's the thing primarily that changes about her at the end of this movie Um, she does cry you know finally but I think I don't think the I don't think the end of this movie is the end of her grief. I think her grief continues beyond this. It's just that she's now learned to sort of let this aspect of her personality out that she wasn't able to move on with before.
2: I I don't know. Maybe I'm now too old watching it, but <laughs> I think a few different things. I, I think that other people are wanting her To somehow speak reality when she has no need to, that Mm. she's already faced certain things. She doesn't have to say it out loud. She doesn't have to answer the reporter's question. She doesn't have to be the caretaker of her husband's memory. None of those things need to take place for herself. And so she's constantly fighting to just be everything on her own terms. And other people just cannot let her do that. And... For Lucille, I don't see her necessarily being ashamed of her father finding out. It read to me more like she was incredibly grossed out by the prospect of him watching her and getting off on it, possibly, or even trying to go further with her or someone else, that it was just, I I know what these people are like. I don't have to then also have it rubbed in my face with a family member. I just want to continue with it on my own terms which has for me been pleasurable so far
1: i think there's an apt visual metaphor to what you just said where she's having to rub that guy while it's in her face while she's yeah having but that then moment. he say, he says
0: my father showed up and the guy's
1: like see you later <laughs> well yeah that i mean that moment there which is like you know there's something to be said about that whole you know she's been crying she's visibly upset but you know hey we got a job to do once you get me ready And it's like, uh, what, (laughs) like, this is not very nice. Uh, I think, I think if we're, if we're going with that, with uh, our thoughts on this is like, you know, then we can tie it back to the concept of liberty or freedom, because there is that, you know, that famous uh, saying, you know, the truth shall set you free. And so we've, she's tried to get her freedom through destructive manners, get rid of everything, throw things away. Uh, remove myself from everyone. I, I don't want like very harsh and and like you know she, you know, wrecks her knuckles, um, after having sex with Olivier to feel something different. She just wants to be, you know, just you know a very uh, forceful way of removing herself from that life and removing herself from these memories and not facing this truth. And then, throughout the course of the film, she deals with these truths in different ways to the same to the same ends she's still freeing herself but in a different manner she you know she finishes the symphony freeing herself from that she uh, confronts Olivier's mistress and gives her the house and the name and kind of gets rid of that whole burden from her life and she gets and she once again has sex with Olivier one more time I have to think it's the last time there's something about the image of them having sex under what it almost appears to be like she's underground. Uh, that whole I image thought
2: for a second. They were inside their aquarium. It, somehow, I think it's but... a fish yeah. tank.
1: I think they're up against <laughs> a fish
0: tank yeah well
1: and i was looking Which i was I, seems not
2: very uncomfortable and very like and also happen. like yeah, yeah i mean
0: if you you know well, if, 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 i don't i don't want to think about stable. thrusting too hard like that's
2: well right yeah. i want
1: to i want to say you know the life aquatic of julie uh besides uh i don't think that that is real i that's one of its another one of the 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 taking liberties with the idea of this visual representation thing. I don't think I looked oh, through his okay. apartment. It's a wall. I don't think there is a there's no aquarium in that apartment. He does not have a aquarium headboard of his bed. Which is which would be a pretty like badass thing if he was like a super pimp from the 70s or something. but uh, Or Bond villain but he's not. He's a simple composer. But besides that uh, I, I interpreted, after Sorry. watching it three or four times, yeah. after reading uh, Annette Isendorf saying that... Oh, God. We're I'm going seeing... to
2: get a killer bee headboard for my sex dungeon.
1: I just have one of a giant <laughs> ant colony. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, no, Annette Isendorf uh, puts it as uh, that we're looking through a window. And she's feeling something, but she's also being disconnected one more time from things because of the cold and the glass. But I looked at it as, when you look at it visually, it looks like she's underground. Because there's so much detritus above and tendrils coming down that it feels like this, like, it's almost like when she would have finished a composition with her husband, she would be having, they would celebrate by having sex. And this is her completing this process. She started with her husband finishing with Olivier and it's almost like she's underground with his body and they're finishing this. And then that's when she's, you know, we cut to all her connections in her life, then her crying, but then smiling as the blue is raising up and dawn, like a new day kind of thing is happening. So it's almost like, that is the culmination of the different way of freeing herself. And now she is truly free and it's, she'll have grief and she'll have things to process, but she's done with this section. She can just move on. It's like, it's the final stamp of finishing this because I can't, I can't explain besides our humorous ways why they would be having sex in a fish tank. Besides that, like that symbol to me that it's underground, that it's buried, that it's, it's, connection with her husband because that's the that's the only thing that makes sense to me
2: well I can't wait to watch it again and see watch it with that idea and see how it plays
0: yeah it is an odd moment it is the moment to me I mean it's a beautiful shot so I forgive it but it is it it's the moment to me that reminds me the most of the elements of Veronique that I wasn't as crazy about because I think that You know, you mentioned Preciousness and uh, that nasty um, uh, Mm. New York Times review, I think. But I I felt that the moments here, like the sugar cube soaking with coffee, um, like the guy. Uh the recorder guy getting out of the fancy car and then just like saying goodbye like what what was going on there? That was. Very, <laughs> it was very funny. But I mean those moments like worked for me so much more in this film, and they felt naturally incorporated in a way that wasn't cutesy to any uh in any way. And I found the erotic moments in this movie a lot more naturalistic with the exception of that moment in comparison to Veronique where Veronique bordered almost on like a uh like a like an artsy softcore film um this it, it felt uh more grounded um except the part where she put the uh the coffee right next to his head on a mattress if somebody did that to me while I was sleeping I would think that they wanted to murder me
1: but well, I, yeah. think, I think that was supposed to be the last time. So she was like, sweet, I'm going to put this hot coffee by his head and then we we're going to be done. <laughs> like,
2: Let's burn him. Honey, I'm just man, trying to wake man, you up you know, with the beautiful goodbye.
0: aroma yeah. of coffee.
1: Wait can, wait, can we just take a moment to talk about the fact that Olivier bought the mattress they had sex on and yeah, brought it home and has slept and on it every sleeps, night since then and, and, and how non-romantic it. that is. <laughs> He's very. I speak for yourself. Uh, he's very
0: into her, Travis. I don't think you. I mean, Erica, you um, have a. You have a, you have a room I, I, just I, of your sex mattresses.
2: <laughs> I had to buy a whole separate house. for so bad. Sleep
0: in a new room every night. These um, are my
1: mattresses. No, I, no I,
2: <laughs> My it, memory foam. Maybe kind of cheesy. Maybe kind of cheesy now, but it you know kind of worked for me those times. Oh, okay
0: well so that they do you guys feel like 100 percent they did not have a relationship before that that was the first I, time that oh, they slept together
2: yeah i i think it was the case but
0: he's very ready I, to get ugh. undressed like when they when she comes when you know when she invites him over um and she's just like take off all your clothes he's like oh we're doing this you know but then he yeah, seems surprised after she takes her clothes off a little bit so i felt like it could go either way i mean i th- certainly mm-hmm. she was very clear that he loved her and then she says D- do you still love me i didn't know she was referencing like the passing of time since they had slept together for the first time or some longer passing of time when they had had a I relationship think it- in the past
2: I think it's again about she knows some things and hasn't spoken them before. I think she's mm-hmm. known all along that he's been yeah. into her and hasn't taken him up on it. And probably if somebody that with whom I wanted to have sex said, "Take all your clothes off," I'd, no. yeah, great.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, agree. I yeah I agree. I think it was unspoken, and then she just made it spoken as a way to kind of, like yeah. I said, just destroy destroy some stuff at the beginning to get to get out of there. Um, that scene, you
0: know. the the filters are really extraordinary as well. Um, there's this bluish green on the walls, and the, mm. and you know he's got again. There's uh, it's it's that myopic uh, effect that happens on the um, on the edges uh, when he goes to those extreme filters. It's a really impressionistic moment um, that I think is is pretty even though it's so clear that she's doing it in this almost like methodical way, that's very, um, uh, emotionally charged. It's still, it's a very erotic scene to me in, in this very kind of twisted way because she's getting so much out of it. That is difficult to
1: articulate. All right, I won't. I won't show up to your house in a raincoat. Then I, I know that
2: that's what gets <laughs> oh, you. Oh goodness. Going. Uh, the 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 other reason I I like this is because I think it's challenging to some people yeah. that mm-hmm. first the idea that somehow your your sexual energy stops at that moment. That again, it's this thing that some people need to happen, and for her to her and that she's saying no i'm still a i'm still alive
0: right but it, they're but gone fortunately He's gone. she doesn't sort of feel the need to explain it like i feel like in a yeah. lot of movies yeah. usually they they're just like i just need to feel something you know what yeah. i mean and mm-hmm. it's just like no yeah. this is just happening it's okay yeah for it to just let it happen
1: i just want i want to bring up one more thing um and that's uh it seems that there is closure in terms of her dealing with her husband and her husband's things, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of closure for the dealing with her daughter's passing. Um, Does anyone feel like that's the part of the story that will continue for her for a long time? Like that's that creeping blue that comes back in because She's finished off with one portion, but there's still a whole section where she hasn't dealt with it at all. Well she hangs the mobile in her apartment, right?
2: And how could she possibly process that within weeks? No, yeah. Just can't.
1: I mean, and the fact that the fact that the doctor told her that her husband was dead. Very weird. But she had to ask what happened to her daughter for like he's so important, he's this great composer. You know, but it's, but it's like there's all these little, besides the color blue, there's all these little, like, visual hints of her. The real trauma for her is her daughter passing because, you know, you see her touch her daughter's coffin, not her husband and her daughter's coffin. You have right. her save The only one thing she saves is something that belonged to her daughter. And that scene where she unwraps the candy and devours no. it, like – It's almost that sense of like, I can't, there's nothing I, I want, I want to put that inside of me and deal with it later. Like she's physically, visually just, just, uh, swallowing this feeling that she can't deal with and, and getting rid of it. Like the only way she knows how that isn't destroying it, but kind of ingesting it, which is a strong visual, you know, clue as well to that
2: because you you can move on from a husband you could move on from a romantic relationship that doesn't survive you can never remove you can never move on from losing a child and she's lost her mother now she's no longer a mother mm, and yeah. even if they had you know even if they had lived even if all of those things had continued for decades there's that well, why you have me here, that undercurrent of morbidity, that it all goes away anyway. A disease can take it all away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the daughter and sort of like the processing of her grief, there were two things in uh, Innsdorf's analysis that I was surprised by. Because she, she talks about that candy as commu- uh, potential communion. Yeah. Which d- to, me, to me it's 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 so much more kind of um yeah aggressively violent than that there's nothing sacred about it to me um and and she also says that uh she doesn't take the pills because she see because the um the woman comes back the nurse and sees her Yeah, but that's not true yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear in that moment that she wants to do this um but once she's actually going through with it, she's not able to uh, to actually kill herself. Yeah,
1: she can't kill herself. And and even more like profound is the nurse isn't stopping her. Like she understands what she's gone through, and she yeah. can understand that feeling. And instead of saying like, "Oh no, there's there's better things. You'll get better. You'll forget about them," which is I uh, just. I think it was Tree of Life mm-hmm. I've watched recently yeah. in which a, the mom is telling the the daughter her daughter, "Oh, don't worry, you'll move on. You'll you'll, you know, this feeling will pass when her son dies in that movie. But in this one, like you can see the nurse just like sympathizing and saying I can empathizing. I can yeah. completely understand. I'm not going to stop you. I don't I couldn't live in this world if all that happened to me." And it's that moment of like you know she sees that in her face and it's almost like she becomes determined to move on and live uh, because she doesn't want to have that be looked at that way ever again
2: or uh, yet another person who wants her to do something who expects mm-hmm. an outpouring of grief for their own sake somehow or just to make themselves feel better I don't I mean I think yep. she's af- I think she's afraid
0: it. of her you know I think that uh, When, when, when you know somebody who experiences something like that, there is a bit of a fear of interacting with them because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't know how they're going to act around you or how they're going to respond to anything, you know, any outside stimulus. And that nurse, I think there's deep sympathy, but there's also this feeling of, you know, I don't want you to do this again to yourself. Um, you know, I, I don't want this to, to, I don't want my interaction to be the, uh, have the result of you feeling worse about the situation that you're in. That's already pretty much as,
1: as bad as you can possibly feel. Um, yeah, I like what you were saying, Erica, about her once again, realize, like, Thinking about this is something someone is expecting of me, and I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to do that again. And then also, when you were talking about her mom forgetting about her, she's struggling to forget about her daughter. And then she comes to the realization of what it feels like to be forgotten. You know, she you know she's lost her mother. She's lo- she's losing her mother. She lost her daughter, but she's also trying to you know, put away the memory of her daughter and then she confronts her mom who is forgetting her and she realized how painful it is to be forgotten and you know, it it I can imagine that that, you know, that would uh change the way that she's going about her process of grieving completely.
0: What about the um the bungee jumping? I mean, a Criterion felt that it was uh, relevant enough to put it on their the cover of the of their blue disc um there's a bit of a a precursor to it when uh Olivier puts down the mini tv uh to play the funeral when he tests it there's also somebody who I think is bungee jumping right that the, mm-hmm. they're at least doing similar kind of activity. Um, and then obviously there's tons of monitors through the movie that's how she watches the funeral that's how she finds out about the mistress all that kind of stuff but the particular bungee jumping and then the fact that again it's like a, a high wire act uh, the second time she comes back um do you think there's anything specific to the use of that uh, footage in the film
2: well, I guess at its most literal, I would think it's a free fall into nothing. But you're safe, and you still come back. You don't hang there forever. Yeah. But I, I, I haven't thought about it enough to speak coherently about it. So that's as far as I get.
1: I was I I can't remember if it was in something I read, maybe in Kishlowski on Kishlowski, but he talks about this idea that, um or what he was intending was there's this this feeling of danger on the tv of like these people risking lives and doing things that are are dangerous or but you're watching it from the comfort of your home and so you have this freedom of having access to anything you want on television but at the same time that freedom of access is also imprisoning you by, f- mm. by making you stay within your home to experience this freedom, but you're not truly experiencing it. So therefore you're not truly free. So it, he talked about that as a setup in terms of, you know, Julie watching things, but not being a part of things. So when we go all the way back to, I think uh, Erica, you're talking about her, like, or maybe it was Matt talking about like her looking at the, uh, the the outside the window or her looking at the uh the dance the performer going to the uh, cafe just all this her looking but not participating and on the second visit to her mom she just looks in the window and then just leaves she doesn't part she doesn't enter in that it's almost like she's rejecting that form of you know a freedom this freedom of just watching and not being a part of things and she sees her mom continuing that that watching and decides to no longer watch but to be active and that's when she starts engaging in life again in terms of uh, the dancer and Olivier and uh, those those types of things
2: okay let's go with that
0: (laughs) how much does that um, play back into the camera buff concept of well, that's
1: one of his. That's one of his things, though, right? Like he's always had an obsession with TV. Yeah. There was that one? There was a the one calm. line in uh the column where he says that uh, all I want to do is get married and have a TV. Yeah. You know, so so we can watch, so we can have a normal life. And then there's so many characters. A uh, short film about love. There's the mo- the 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 lady right. who runs the house. That's like come watch TV with me. And everyone's always experiencing things through television, which I think was we talked about before a huge Polish, uh, cultural thing, this idea that, you know, there was, we can't experience a lot of this stuff outside of our lives because of the restrictions and because of the limitations of what we can and can't do, uh, financial and social, that there was all this stuff they could watch on TV that makes them, you know, connect with things. And I think that's why Polish television was a lot more, uh, important. Uh, you know, when we think of TV movies, a lot of times we do think that they're on the lower end of production quality and of story quality and of actor availability, but in Polish television, it was, it was just as high quality. It was just as important as something that was screened theatrically. So I think it's still, it's still that, uh, you know, that, uh, that level of, of he's now confronting that. Now that he's outside of Poland, it's almost like he's now saying TV isn't as important anymore.
2: And what it says to me just from the Western standpoint nowadays, which I don't think affected him, it's when you're in any sort of an environment with elderly people, the TV's yeah. always on. Mm-hmm. It's never off. It's just whatever. Always. Don't have to change the channel. Yep. Just That's... whatever this thing is. And it just makes me sad. It's a code for sad for yep. me.
0: It's true, yeah. The I mean, and that sh- shows up statistically too. Um, as you get older, uh, you watch far more TV. People sixty-five plus watch, on average, uh, above eight hours of TV a day. Um, and even I mean, even my parents who are who are fi- relatively active, uh, they always have the TV on when I when I go over their house. It's it, even if they're not watching it, it's on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is perhaps like a positive way to look at, I mean, it's sad in the sense that there's no interaction that her mom can have with the TV, but obviously she struggles so desperately to have connections with people in her personal life because she's unable to remember the, uh, who they are and carry on a full conversation with them. Um, but this is her only chance to actually connect with humanity in that she's watching these people do things that she's unable to do, um, and interact with them on a, on the most passive level, but, um, still in some way, um, be, participate in society to a small degree. Um, and then of course, like the, on a purely literal level, like the bungee jumper is, always connected to the place that they jumped off from so even though they are an individual um, they're still connected to that base that they um, have have leapt away from Um, I mean I think in certain ways it was just it was just like a a nice little uh, metaphor of flying through space and so that's why he included it but he certainly leaves the door open as often as possible to be able to make as many Uh, silly interpretations as you can as i just did is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about from the film that we haven't brought up yet there's a lot of like little nooks and crannies in this movie where like something happens for a scene and then you forget about it. something like the woman with the bottle um isn't uh essential to the to the narrative uh or even the like the cats and the cat and the mouse um or the woman trying to get the uh, lucille kicked out of the apartment um which you could just look at as a device for um getting the two of them together but you know is also um interwoven with the fact that her husband was the one that gave her a blanket when she got locked out of the uh, the apartment um and why she got locked out of the apartment was the guy getting beat up um I guess as I'm talking, it's like, there's all these little things, but they, they are all <laughs> yeah. interconnected. He all, all he connect. manages to all connect them. Yeah. Pretty effective.
1: Well, yeah. It's like a, it's like a little, it's like a little family circus Jeffy map throughout the town where it looks like <laughs> a big mess, but really all these little pieces are slowly pulling her back into the real world, uh, whether she likes it or not. And I think the, the old lady, uh, he did that in, uh, he did the same kind of thing. And, uh, in double, and Veronique. Life where, yeah, where yeah. yeah, she looks out the window, sees an old lady struggling, and you know, just makes that connection. Uh, except this time she's not looking at the old lady, we're looking at the old lady, mm-hmm. she's got her eyes closed and she's lost in a moment, which is which is almost kind of like her, him saying, You know, we don't need to make that connection of being old, we don't have to fear that, we can kind of live in the moment, kind of thing, which is different from how Veronique, Veronica. Uh, respond to the old lady, which it's more of a, uh, you know, a drive to do something to, you know, that connection to the old age. And this one, it's almost like she's, she's closing her eyes to that concept. Um, But no, it's a, there's lots of, I mean, we, I think we, I think we covered quite a bit of this stuff, but yeah, there's, there's so many little pieces. I think, uh, you know, as usual with his process, he, he spent a lot of time, he filmed a lot more than what we see, as usual, and he worked really hard at, uh, there's an interview with the editor on the uh, Three Colors uh, Blue disc, and he talks about how he struggled to, or struggled, but worked really hard at getting rid of as much as possible, so there's as little dialogue as possible, and it's all visual and emotional. Um which is which he said was really hard because you know Kishilowski only does one or two, three takes tops for any scene. And uh, it uh, you know, so the the performance has to be there and they worked hard at it before they would uh, record and it was uh, it was a challenge and I think the cinema the editor also said that it was the first time he's ever worked with someone where they use the fade out, to not convey time passing in the. Yeah, in it's that fascinating. Sense. But yeah, just to have her have that blackout and come right back to the same shot, uh, it was something very unique. And it is a fascinating thing that us as the audience, like her kind of like closing stuff off and just being left alone with that music in her head and then coming back to it and kind of reasserting herself as not interested in what's going on. It, it was a very cool technique. I like that a lot.
2: It just the world never stops turning. Mm. Whatever the event is, everything just keeps going.
1: Mm. Yep. The,
0: uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, the cutaways in Ozu films at um, heightened emotional moments. I think the most famous one in, is in late spring when um, Noriko finally realizes that <clears throat> she's going to be leaving her father late at night and they cut away to the, the, the mystical vase. Um, but they, mm. th- it happens throughout his films. Um, and the interpretation that I really loved of it was uh, the idea of giving the character space um, that in uh, Japanese culture in particular, there's a, a sense of, of sort of uh, privacy, especially because they're uh, so often, especially in cities in close proximity to each other. Um, and in films, obviously... One of the remarkable leaps forward in human interaction was the idea of having a character uh, a close up of a character, you know, having this personal space. I mean, never before in history, unless you were intimate with somebody, either uh, a family member or or a loved one, uh, would you be able to walk up to somebody <laughs> like five inches from their face and just stare at them for <laughs> for a minute? It would mm. be very weird. Um, so this was the first opportunity that we got to do this. And um, in that process is uh, invasive to a certain degree. And it kind oh, of reminds yeah. me of um, Kishlowski talking about the reason why he wanted to make fictional films is to to move in on on people's personal spaces essentially he didn't feel like he could get at the deeper emotional and psychological truths of these people because they were real people and he didn't want to invade their personal spaces and in this film even though like i i know for for kishlovsky he said literally the reason he did this was it was almost like it stopped time for her but i see it in a lot of ways as a moment that is too emotionally intense to depict this character's um, personal space. That in this moment, it's so overwhelming for her that it's almost like we're filming a documentary, and and she reaches out and put puts her hand over the camera because she doesn't want us to see her response. Um, because it it it's it is like remarkable, especially. To remember that this is a movie about somebody who just wants to be left alone that gets rid of all of her stuff and moves somewhere where she doesn't know anybody and just wants to um, have her affogato at her corner cafe but we're always there with her watching her go through this experience and you know you wouldn't walk up to somebody on the street and ask them hey why i i heard you just lost your husband and daughter tell me a little bit about your life and and you know what you've been doing as you've been going through this and this is our opportunity to see somebody even if it's fictionalized pass through that experience so there is like a relationship there that needs to be mediated
1: by the filmmaker and i think that those moments are are moments like that i think the only other thing that we didn't talk about uh in terms of was the character of antoine the uh the uh, young the witness, boy who yeah. witnessed the accident. Um, I think his portion in the film is very minor. He's there at the beginning, the middle, and then at the end. But I think there's a whole there's a whole kind of arc with his character. Of he's a young he's a young young guy who witnesses something horrible, and when he comes to try to talk to Julie about it, to almost kind of process that trauma of seeing something so horrific and she doesn't give him that satisfaction and then he's left still with that trauma at the end because he's he's bathed in blue light which is that, that same color that we associate with uh, Julie not dealing with things and so he's he can't deal with it he can't process it and he's wearing that cross around his neck which she has given him like the same kind of like uh, Erica you were saying with the house with the same kind of like I'm giving you this this is now off my plate it's almost like here no nope, you're keeping the necklace yeah. that whole experience is off my plate and it's now your deal and instead of like where everyone else where the 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 gifting of these uh, of these things are liberating for them or life-changing for them like this the kid is not able to process it he's waking up super early in the morning and you can tell he's not he's not happy he's and he's covered in blue light it's almost kind of it's almost kind of sad that you know this is a trauma that he has to hold on to now for a long time and it'll take a while for him to uh, release it as well because you know it's got to be something to come across an accident like that it's it's got to be scarring as well just seeing that kind of violence
2: well if we want to continue with the idea of the cross too. It's, I think it's an important lesson that she's taught to him, not in a calming motherly way. She said, you know, I'm, I'm not your savior here. I can't take this away from you. Here's a piece. If this, if this keeps a moment alive for you of me or of my daughter, but it could also be a little bit of a totem here or if it gives you some sort of religious comfort i don't need this maybe someday you won't either
0: mm. yeah cuz i mean he could sell it or throw it out it's not like he it's not like she's saying keep this forever and ever um it's it it is probably for him in that moment the fact that he's wearing it even you know
1: the it's part of his own process of the experience that he's gone through. And that's the same cross that her husband bought the mistress as well. Right.
0: Yeah. Which is a, just a dick move. It's like a, oh, total, it's dick like move. the, the Walt Whitman <laughs> book that, uh, Clinton gave, uh, Hillary and Monica yeah. Lewinsky. Oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree I mean because it well and everybody's like oh you didn't know <laughs> like yeah. it's like what <laughs> um even the mistress is like oh you know <laughs> like oh yeah we, we we hung out for years this is his baby you, you weren't aware what, what do you guys think of the um the montage at the end that was that was one thing that that we haven't mentioned which is pretty unusual in um filmography
2: Thinking about all of those connections that we make, whether we realize it or not, every piece that we touch, it just continues on and on.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was a very, it was very different from what he's done in the past, but it was kind of a nice moment to see how all these are all built upon to make, to get her to that moment where she's able to cry and smile. Which I thought was very, you know, that connection with uh, Olivier and their lovemaking, and then as we move through each character that has been in her life and made her come to these these moments of real realization, and then we're left with her and uh, the dawn, which I thought was a very nice, uh, a very nice wrap up. Usually, he he likes to leave us with something cosmically. A cosmic joke which just says we're not meant we're not we're not as important in this world as you think we are which has happened for many of his movies in which at the end you know a plane blows up and none of it mattered or this character dies and none of it mattered um this one he ends it with this matters which is very hopeful which i think is what going back to what you were saying earlier matt about a very different kind of uh a different kind of ending for his pessimistic ways
0: i it also made me wonder if um this fed into uh the wise up uh musical montage in ah, Paul thomas anderson's magnolia dude, i was
1: gonna i was gonna say that but decided not to make a joke out of it because i thought it was actually kind of nice what i was gonna say you mean the the montage from uh magnolia yeah
0: yeah <laughs> Because the, there is a sense that they're all listening to the music in that mo- in that montage, you know, and <laughs> yep. so it it, yeah. it it made it made me think like, is he just oh like why not? What if they were all singing?
1: <laughs> well, he wear uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does wear his influences on his sleeve quite boldly a lot of times. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, no, but I, I think it's a a very nice moment, and I will certainly. I haven't it's been as long for white and red as it has been for blue for me. Uh, so I will be same. Yeah, for me. I'll be very curious to see kind of how the it, it's funny because I I certainly didn't think of this film as hopeful uh, when I first saw it. And obviously the story is pretty devastating. And I'm I'm not it's not like I'm in a like I'm ready to party at the end of this movie. No. <laughs> but there is certainly a a, an optimism here that is very real the that even if she doesn't get better which i don't think the movie implies that she will either get better or worse um there is a sense that there is it's impossible to wall yourself off from humanity and and give up on life so i'll be curious to see if that extends into the the, the second and third the other. films
1: in this trilogy which for people who are interested Eric is going to be joining us on this journey through all three of these films
2: I can't wait thank you thank you for so much for including me in Yeah
1: it. we're really excited
0: and it's I think it's I think it's the the right choice for America because I think uh you know I think these movies are are super linked but I also obviously we incredibly value your perspective on these films and it's going to be I think it's going to be great to uh, to watch the evolution of this trilogy with uh, with a third person consistently. Um so before we get to 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 White next time, um we're going to do our little ranking exercise, Travis. Erica, I'm not gonna ask you to to rank anything yet since you'll be back next time so you don't have to, to worry okay. about anything. Um, but Travis, I'm curious where you would slot blue at this point uh, in the, the viewing experience. We're counting we're counting these as individual movies if you haven't figured that yeah. out yeah
1: yeah I don't I think you know we can talk about how thematically they all connect later but I think I think these are definitely individual films. Uh, this is number one. This, mm. this beats out everything. Uh, it's hard. The Decalogue is such a unique and momentous uh, film uh, in the history of like film and what it does. But in terms of uh, him taking all of his thoughts, ideas, uh, experiences, uh, experimentations, and distilling them into one film... Uh, I think this is his most successful effort of everything that he enjoys and wants to talk about and wants to have the audience experience, Yeah. while at the same time changing just a little bit and moving into a different atmosphere of maybe pessimism isn't the answer, maybe there is a chance, which I think really makes this stand out from a lot of his other films. And I just think this, this one is the top. So I, I can't, I can't put into words how much this, this, this time around this movie affected me in terms of the weight of the history of him as a filmmaker and leading up to this, plus the subject matter and the technical, um, accomplishment in which he was able to convey this as a visual piece of poetry, as opposed to a narrative, uh, experience.
0: So this is my bottom movie. No, uh, this, <laughs> this is the one I hate. The most, Travis, <laughs> you're an idiot. Um, uh, I will leave Decalogue at number one for now. Uh, and this is my number two. I probably would have put act of killing a, of it until my second watch this time around and i think the reason why i love this movie so much and especially loved it um last night was that there's so much to take in and yet in a very um nebulous way i think that there's this is a movie that you could watch every day and take something out of it that's different than what you took out of it before and I really enjoyed just uh sitting in it uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast and and living in this world and even though it's a very emotionally turbulent film um and I certainly wasn't in a uh, an amazing mood when it when it was over I almost wanted to watch it again immediately I think um that's not the case for decalogue although some of the episodes more more so than others um i think the the monumental scale of that accomplishment is is what i come back to but i think here uh he is really working at a different level in in terms of his technique and um his ability to, to put together um strands that otherwise wouldn't seem interconnected so tightly so that aspect of it is I think what's most extraordinary about it and then Juliette Binoche is um, so stunning in her performance uh, and understated I think we didn't talk very much about it on this episode because there's only so much that you can say about it I think it's it's consistently astonishing and um fascinating and i have enjoyed pretty much everything she's been in other than godzilla <laughs> um, but well fun fact she turned down jurassic park to be in this movie yes i forgot that oh i knew that a long time ago that it's pretty amazing yeah um laura dern not a bad second choice though um, no not bad at all so yeah unless she was going to play the tyrannosaurus rex role well that's Was what that, she yeah. wanted to play a dinosaur <laughs> yeah. she didn't want to play Lord Dern's role, so. um no but i you know i think i think she, as great as everything about this movie is i think that she stands above her accomplishment and it stands above everything else uh, and that's the the biggest reason why I, I will return to this movie again and again i would expect to watch this before any of the other films that we've watched so far this season. So as I'm talking, it's almost my number one. It's close, but Ah, come (laughs) on. It's right there. Just a little, little (laughs) (laughs) shove. This this is not, this is not set in stone. So we'll see how it goes next time. Um, But next time we are going to be talking about white. And um, this is the kind of the, the stepchild of the trilogy. Everybody loves blue and loves red. uh, But here right in the middle is little old white. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to revisit this one.
2: Me too.
1: I haven't seen it. So this will be, I've seen red, but I've never seen white. So I'm excited. Oh, uh, wow. First time viewing. Oh, goodness. We should mention there's
0: actually a a white reference in this film. Um, when, when she goes to find the mistress at the courthouse. uh, So that
1: was Julie Delphi in the background. Yes. She peeks in. Ah, nice.
0: Yeah. She peeks in on, on the proceedings. Um, and they started filming White the day after they
1: wrapped Blue. I can't believe I was reading about the production schedule for these three movies. And all three of these movies were finished within 18 months or something. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah, the, from, from, from concept
0: to finish, it was three years for all three of these
1: movies.
2: Yeah, insane. It's crazy. And he, Talk uh, about monumental.
1: Their, their goal was to put Blue into... Uh, oh shoot what was it venice red was going into cons blue and venice and white was going to berlin yeah like he won all three of them in the festivals at the same time and blue won like,
0: and and white won and red lost to pulp fiction which Pulp I'm sure fiction we will talk about but uh not not yet next time is white
1: <laughs> well erica thank you for joining us once again and we look forward to uh, yeah we continuing can't wait this conversation
2: My very great pleasure. Can't wait.
1: And with that, we're complete for another week.